Today, uh, we find ourselves uh, at the uh, sort of the beginning of the school year, right? And so, uh, fresh faces are back. Welcome back, Lincoln. Good to see you again. Um, and uh, uh, so, all the work has been done uh, here and there to to uh, carve out uh, curriculum choices and and schedules and workspaces for all of you homeschoolers and. And for those of you who aren't, um, you know, you've, you've gone to all the, oh, wow, uh, all the, the back-to-school sales, and, and you have new books and, and whatnot and everything. It seemed a good time uh, today for us to reflect upon just the topic of teaching as it relates here uh, in the church and in the home. Uh, and so to reflect upon that. Uh, because you know what? The Bible is just chock full of instruction about instruction. Uh, it's chock full of teachings about teaching. Uh, and uh, so just, just as some quick starters uh, to, to, uh, for you to think about, Psalm 3411, just, just a, a handful of words after, taste and see that the Lord is good, uh, the psalmist writes, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Um, so that's just an interesting thing that that implies that's something that needs to be taught. Hmm. That's, a, that's a curious thing to, to know and be aware of. Matthew 11, uh, a, a text that you're very familiar with already, uh, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus, even in, in an invitation to those who don't know him, he doesn't say, be saved by me, though that's true. Uh, he says, learn, learn from me. And at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, and what we know as the Great Commission, uh, there Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. And so Jesus, in this statement to his disciples, is laying down on each end of it his authority and his presence, and in the context of that is giving commands that as you go, be making disciples. And in the context of that, teach. Teach them. Teach them to obey. Teach them to observe. And so today, uh, we're going to spend some time on this topic, and you find the page that you all have, so I'm not lying to you. Uh, we're going we're to talk about just some basic premises about this. If you're looking for, you know, theory of pedagogy, you've come to the wrong place. We're not, we're not going to go that deep and that abstract, but just some basic premises from the word about what does it mean to teach and to learn and to grow and to build the body of Christ. Um, 
Then we're going to look at, at three texts that really exemplify this. You'll see them right in the middle of your, your page. And uh, they're familiar texts, I hope. If they're not, I hope they become familiar texts to you. And then we're going to look at three examples, two positive, one pretty negative, and then, uh, and then we'll be done. So, so with that, we'll uh, get this page back out of my way. Let's move on. Our need is our, is our first basic premise, and, and the, the, to finish that statement, our need is vast. Our need is vast. And, and we come really ill-equipped in terms of uh, what we come in, with in terms of information about the Lord without His help, okay? So, so without additional information, what, what are we equipped with? Um, we know from creation around us that there is a God, Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, we, are without excuse. So we have that. Uh, we know that right and wrong exist, even those who were without the law, uh, Romans 2.15. Um, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. Even a flawed conscience uh, understands that there is right and wrong. And we know uh, that life is not all that there is. This life, these years that we have together. E Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Uh, he, uh, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So we have these, these three basic things that we, we sort of come with even before we have specific uh, revelation or instruction. But the interesting thing is God, is God is even the giver of those things, isn't he? Right? Because the, the very creation that, that proclaims that there is a God is the creation from the Lord. Right? The very conscience and mind and awareness that we have uh, of, of right and wrong is something that the Lord has given to us. And uh, it says explicitly so in, in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has put eternity in man's heart. We, w we wouldn't know even these basic things uh, without the Lord's uh, instruction. And so the principle here is that the source of all truth is, is not within us. It, it is outside of us. Um, Somewhere in the middle of this COVID mess last year, uh, I, I went through Proverbs, standing right here, um, preaching, teaching to my iPad, because no one else was in the room on Thursday morning when I did it. <laughs> but but, but, but uh, one of the things that, that was impressed upon my heart week after week after I went through this was that wisdom is something that must come from outside to us. Uh, we, we don't come with it. It's not part of our, our package, as it were. It, is, it, is, it must be obtained. And the irony here is that the world uh, teaches just the opposite. It, the world will tell you that, that any problem that you are encountering 
is, is because of something outside of you, and any solution that you need is probably inside of you, when it's just the opposite. Uh, any, any problem you're encountering is, is probably more than likely inside of you, and any solution that is, that is worthy of being called a solution is outside of you and needs to be given to you. Um, Proverbs 1.7 tells us, in fact, that the beginning of knowledge is what? The fear of the Lord, yeah, is the beginning of knowledge, yeah. And that fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what, what Proverbs 1.7 does not say is that the beginning of knowledge is finding your inner light, uh, being true to yourself, uh, seeking wisdom within, uh, expressing your individuality, uh, or, or you being you, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, our need is vast, and we are, we are ill-equipped. Second uh, basic premise is that uh, God's supply in this realm is supreme. God's supply is supreme in this realm. Uh, and, and simply as the source of all, period, as the source of all, God is also the source of all knowledge. He is the source of all truth. He is the source of all wisdom. Uh, we, we know and love, rightly so, Romans eleven, thirty-six. 36. Right? For from him and through him and to him are all things, including knowledge and wisdom and truth. Colossians 1 tells us that, that Christ in Christ all things hold together. And Hebrews 1, verse 3 tells us that that by the word of his power, he upholds the very universe uh, within which we exist. And as I'd mentioned before, uh, from the Great Commission, Jesus declares that all authority in heaven and on earth is his. And uh, John 10, Jesus tells us he even has authority over his own life, right? To lay it down and to take it back up. And, and so... Uh, God's supply uh, is supreme for us in this realm. Third, third basic premise um, is God has given us a book. God has given us a book, right? God didn't give us an, impre an impression, a dream, a vision, a uh, quiver in our liver, uh, you know. Uh, he, he gave us a book. Didn't give us a blog. Uh, didn't... Could have, could have waited until the technology existed to give us a movie, to give us a DVD, to give us something streaming, but chose to give us a book, right? Um, and that book is sufficient. It's a sufficient source of all truth. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, again, we love these verses, that all Scripture is breathed out uh, by God, profitable for teaching, uh, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman and woman or and child of God may be complete. That could also be rendered perfect, complete, equipped for every good work. This is what the word, this is what the book uh, does for us. Second Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 uh, lays this out in, in a similar manner. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. 
in his book. Right? In his book. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So the book is sufficient. Uh, The book tells us about God. We learn about his character. We learn about his deeds, his perfections, his promises, his warnings. The book tells us about ourselves. Uh, The book tells us about our beginning, our middle, and our end. Uh, Tells us uh, about our rebellion and our salvation. Tells us about our purpose. And so we don't need to go far to learn what we need to learn. Uh, The book tells us about the world around us, how it's made by him and how it's now, in a sense, groaning in travail as it is waiting uh, as well for its redemption and renewal um, while still declaring the glory of God. So that's our third point. God has given us a book. And finally, basic premise number four, God has commanded us to learn this book and to teach this book. God has commanded us to learn this book and to teach this book. It's the drumbeat of uh, much of the Bible, uh, particularly Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, the Gospels, Acts. Um, In fact, uh, why, why you have the title of this page that says, Teach Me Your Statutes, Uh, That is seven times in a single psalm, Psalm 119. The psalmist is begging, teach me your statutes. And he is imploring us to learn those statutes. Right. Okay. So with those premises laid down, we're going to head into three example texts. So turn with me uh, to Deuteronomy 6, if you would. You've seen this before, you know it, but we're going we're gonna to look at it again because we love it and it's great. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We'll stop there, but we'll, we'll go further in just a bit. But before we go further, just a reminder that what we are uh, called to teach and to learn is not just um, out of nowhere. It's rooted and grounded in the reality of who God is. So the, Moses is writing here, listen. He says, hear this. Yahweh, the God of the universe, is one. Okay? Now, he's, he's making uh, maybe a, a strong monotheistic statement for sure. More than that, though, he is saying Yahweh is the one. There is one God, and he, his name is Yahweh. There's only one God. And we are called to love this one God in an all-encompassing way. Um, including having his word in and on our heart. We sort of reserve that for, for New Testament or a New Covenant speak, that, that God's word is written on our heart, Jeremiah 31 and all sorts of other places, right? But here it is in, in Deuteronomy 6. 
that, that Moses, that God is calling the people to have his word written on their heart, not just in some perfunctory way to, to obey it, but that it would be on their hearts. Okay, um, we'll go on, verse 7 in Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them, that is, these commands, diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And we'll stop there. And so, after giving us this truth about who God is, immediately, the first way of showing that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength is to teach these things, to talk about the commands of the Lord here in a, in a personal setting with our children, right? And um, the word is diligently, right? What comes to mind when you hear, do this thing with all diligence? Go ahead, it's okay. What do you, what do you think of? Steadfast. Steadfast, okay, thank you, yeah. What else? Yes, Phil. All your, All your strength? Being engaged. So intentional? Yeah, right. It's not going to happen accidentally. Things that you do with diligence don't just accidentally, you know, happen. Right? Anything else? John, I see you're ready. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. This is, this is mission critical stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, saw another hand I thought down there. Nope, yeah. Consistently, right, yeah, right, yeah, with some, some repetition. That's right, good, great, great input. Um, and with some, some vigor. This is, this is something that we do with all our strength, right, all that we have. And where does this happen? Right, so, so go, go back and look at verse 7. Um, when you sit in your house, okay, so when we're home. Uh, when you walk by the way, when you're out. That's pretty much like everywhere, right? <laughs> so okay, okay, everywhere, home and not home, got it, all right? Um, when you lie down, remember the Jews started their day at sundown, so, so they wouldn't say morning and evening, they'd say evening and morning, it would count a day, right? So when you lie down, Okay, end of the day, what we call the end of the day, they call the beginning of the day. And when you rise, oh, the beginning of the day, okay. So everywhere you go and at all times, um, that this is to be an, uh, a diligent effort. Now, one of the things that, that's implied here uh, is, is that this includes a practical application of God's commands, that they're lived out. Right, whether you're working in the field or at the forge or at the carpenter's bench or whatever, um, and it's not—it's not okay. Okay, son, uh, I know we're we're uh, weeding the field. Uh, let's let's talk catechism. You know, right? That might be true, but but it also might be the application of these truths and how you work uh, and how you strive, how you interact with other people in business or or wherever you find yourself. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, in terms of, uh, I was reminded in reading this, about three years ago, Stuart Scott was here, uh, and, and he preached on uh, Titus 2, 11 to 14, and he challenged us on that day, um, and I've failed this more than I've succeeded, but to memorize that passage and recite it, meditate on it before your feet hit the floor in the morning. Um, so I'm, like I say, I've failed at that as often as I've succeeded. I have it as a shortcut on my phone so that I can get to it if I don't have it memorized or my brain just is a little foggy yet. But I encourage you to think, what can I do in God's Word before my feet hit the floor? Right. Now, if you have a two-year-old screaming in the other you know, room, it's okay. <laughs> Go ahead, as you're, as you're making your way across the house, you, you know, uh, be, be praying, be in the Word, but, but if, if you are not rushed, if you are not harried in terms of, if you're not a fireman, you're ready to jump down the pole, um, think about, how can I begin my day in the Word? Find, find a way, find a way um, to do that. Okay. The, uh, the text goes on and, and talks about things on our hands and things before our eyes, um, right? And, and, and the Jews took this literally, and on their doorposts, right, to this day, uh, take that literally. Whether you do that or not, the picture here is what, what more could you say about your life than to have something on your hand that at any time I'm reaching out to do something, I'm reminded of God's word over my life, that as I'm looking at something, I have sort of in my periphery, I have God's word, you know, so it's almost like a filter in terms of how I see the world, how I do things and interact with others and in the world, that's the idea here, and, and the word at the doorpost or on the gate, it's, it's when you're coming home, right, this should be a haven where God's word is held in high esteem. Okay? This, this should be a home where the Lord is not, he, we know that he's the master of your household. Whether you acknowledge that or not, it's true. But it should be a home where we acknowledge that as well. And we're intentional about that. Um, so, let me ask you, how do, how do we apply those sorts of things right, uh, in, in, in our own lives? How do, how, do we, how do we put the word on our hand or as frontlets before our eyes or have it on our doorposts or gates? How do, how do we apply that principle in our own lives? Go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. Okay. Yeah. So we, yeah. It's our it's our filter. It's how we it's how we see the world around us. And where else was that coming from, Rhonda? Yes. Scripture is on our wall. Yeah. Right. So scripture sticky notes are a wonderful thing, right? Scripture uh, on a sticky note stuck on a wall, uh, stuck on a kitchen cabinet. Uh, where, where do you find yourself in your house? 
stationary, right? Brushing my teeth and right, yeah, standing in front of the mirror, looking at that same face again. There it is, <laughs> every day, right? It's a great place, that little sticky note, right? My computer screen is where, where they are uh, because that's where I live and breathe too much of the time. Uh, is, is, is Scripture is around there um, so that when I'm on the, you know, the 14th um, Teams call of the week, I can avert my eyes and remind myself of something really important. What else? Memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. Is that, that you, Jason? Thank you. Memorizing Scripture. Absolutely. Hide it in your heart. That's right. Okay. Yes, Phil. Right, right. So whatever you do, yeah, whether you eat or drink, yeah, you do it to the glory of God. And anything else that's as significant as eating or drinking. So, right, uh, how you work, how you uh, live your life each day, good. Okay, all right, we're going to go on. Psalm 78, this is our next text. We, we looked at uh, Deuteronomy 6 as sort of a personal call. Psalm 78 now is more of a corporate or um, really a national call in this case um, to teach. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give, a, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Okay, again, we have the call uh, before we even get to what the psalmist is after. He's saying, listen, this is important give ear incline your ear lean in listen carefully because what I'm about to say is important stuff and uh, he is telling us that this is not new I'm not coming up with a new novel uh, framework for ministry Uh, this this is old these are things that we've heard Uh, from of old, generations gone by. And it is of the Lord's works, of His power, and His wonders. And we must not hide them from the generation to come. We must not. We must tell them. Right? If you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, great. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Do you have people you need to tell? And I'm not talking about cold call evangelism, which is fine, 
talking about somebody who sleeps under your roof, right? Or a brother who, who lives uh, 200 miles away. Uh, are there people in your life that you are related to that you need to be straight with about the truths of the gospel? Um, yeah. Um, because the, the purpose, you can see it in verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Okay. And, um, in this case, so that they would not follow an unfaithful precedent. Okay. We're going to move on, as time is moving on, to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at sort of a personal call uh, from Deuteronomy 6, uh, more of a uh, corporate or even national call to all of Israel from Psalm 78 here. The call is to the body. Um, we won't find the word teach or tell or learn uh, in this text, but we will see um, the call to grow and, and through interaction with one another. Okay, so Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so that's like a four-week series right there in and of itself. Uh, we're going to spend about four minutes on it here. But, but um, a big idea may surprise you uh, from, from verses 11 and 12 is, is that these people, uh, gifts to the church uh, of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, um, their primary work... Um, is not necessarily to do ministry, but to equip others for ministry. That is their ministry. Uh, it's, it's interesting, um, grammar uh, side note here. Uh, the King James, anybody got a King James here in the room? There's a couple back there. So the King James has, has a comma that probably no other translation here has. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 from the King James. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So do you see the huge difference there of, of what, what's being called for there? And uh, yeah, uh, that, that comma went away <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, but it reminded me of, of a book that we still have on our shelves 
on, uh, on grammar and punctuation that is, is named, it's entitled, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, um, and has a picture of an armed panda on the front. And so you just think through that, eats, shoots, and leaves, and you'll get the importance of, of punctuation. Uh, and and uh, the importance here is that um, the work of the, of the leadership here is to equip. Right? And the equipping brings unity. It brings knowledge. It brings maturity and steadfastness, steadfastness uh, Christ-likeness, and growth uh, within the body. Uh, and that's all the time we have for it but, it, but it begins with the teaching through the Word is where this begins, and that's where it starts. Okay, so some quick observations before we go to our, our uh, examples. Um, the Lord is after every bit of us. Right? The Lord wants us in our entirety. Heart, mind, soul, strength, time, treasure, speech, actions, uh, desires, motives. Every waking moment, everywhere you go, uh, this is what the Lord wants. It's what He commands. Um, the command to love God and to teach His commands are rooted in who God is and what He has done. And so this is true both historically and what we find in the Word, Right? The, the, the people of Israel were continually reminding themselves of the goodness of the Lord through his actions, specifically the Exodus. Right? And the church was continually reminding themselves of the goodness of the Lord, specifically the, the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true for us as well. We also have the goodness of the Lord in our own lives. We've only, our family has only been here five and a half years, but I know that there have been trials and afflictions and, and that a bunch of you have gone through in these five and a half years. And I know that you praise the Lord for what He has done, how He has grown you uh, through these things. And you need to rehearse those things and remind yourself of God's goodness to you. Um, even if you have to journal that thing down so that you can go back and remind yourself of the true things about what God has done in your life, okay? Okay. Final just sort of uh, observation about how this works before we go to these examples. Um, right, the Lord, like I said earlier, gave us a book. Uh, didn't give us uh, a fuzzy feeling, an impression, right? Um, he gave us information, and by the Holy Spirit has given us illumination to understand in a way that's impossible for the unbeliever. He has also called us then to be imitators of Christ. So if you want to think through those things, right, it's information that we have, it's illumination that we receive, and it's imitation, imitation that we go out and live. This is part of how we teach and learn. Okay. Let's look at these examples quickly. Ezra, chapter 7. We're just looking at, at uh, Ezra 7, uh, verse 10. And it reads, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Okay. 
So we see this Ezra. By the way, just earlier than that, it's worth reading another time the first part of Ezra 7 because there's this great introduction that says that Ezra, you know, showed up and it says, Ezra, son of 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 Aaron, this Ezra. So in case you were confused and you thought it might be another Ezra, it's this Ezra. But this Ezra started in his will and how he had set his heart to study and to grow in the word, right? So this is the root that the Lord had put inside of Ezra's heart to, to be so in love with the Lord's commands that he was ready to do everything uh, for the Lord, to love the Lord with all his heart and mind and soul and strength. And so this progression starts from the inside out, uh, just as Luke 6.45 tells us that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or out of the abundance of the heart, the life lives. Right? That's, that's, that's where it begins. And so we have this progression from Ezra's inside, from his mind, his will, his intentions, to the external. And that is, he studied... And then he lived it, he obeyed, he observed uh, the Lord's commands through obedience, his fruit, and then he taught it. He reproduced, right? So a, a, a disciple of the Lord is for sure a learner. Uh, a disciple of the Lord is also a disciple maker, right? Uh, it's not, don't, don't hear me wrong, right? We don't literally create other disciples, but we position God's word before people and we ask the Lord to move in hearts right to create new life Um, whether that's in our home whether that's how we minister one to another here or you know at Tom Thumb or or wherever you find yourself uh, between Sundays okay so that's Ezra uh, a a wonderful example Um, look with me to Acts 17 We had an individual, now we have a, a, a group of Bereans. Acts 17, verses 11 and 12. Now these Jews, these Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Okay, so these, what, what do we see as characteristics of these Bereans? What made them more noble than the Thessalonians? Well, here's their progression. Uh, Paul had come to them preaching, and they received Paul eagerly, right? They didn't just tolerate him. They, I mean, they, okay, let's, let's hear this word of the Messiah. And they received it with all eagerness. But what did they do then? They, com- they went to the scriptures, right? They, they tested what they heard that they had received with all eagerness with the scriptures, does this bear out? 
right? The scriptures were their norm, their standard. And, and it was the standard that wasn't going to change, and they were going to bring what Paul had just told them and bring it alongside and say, does this line up? Is this true? And then what did they do? This, so everybody gets that, but, but usually verse 12 gets overlooked. So, that, so they did that. Good for them. That's great. What then? They believed. They submitted their lives. They said, okay, that's right. You're right. This is true. This Jesus of Nazareth, um, he, according to the scriptures, is the Messiah. And we need to conform our lives to that truth. We need to submit our lives to that truth. And, and what a glorious example of the teaching of the word producing new believers, right? Yeah, okay. Final example, not a positive example, Judges 2. So this is the generation following Joshua and the elders. Judges 2, starting in verse 7. I'm not going to read all of this chunk, um, but I'll start in verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Okay. Verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. You know that we're set up for a problem now, right? Verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. So the question is, how could this be? How could this be? How did, how did it come to be that when this generation passed away that another generation arose that did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel, as it says in verse 10? How can that be? They weren't taught, they weren't taught right? It's, it's, it's really pretty simple. No one told them. No one told them. Uh, no one told them about the Lord of the universe. No one told them about the great and mighty deeds of the Lord uh, to save and to keep. Um, and just that quickly, 
with one generation, just that quickly, one generation, um, Israel fell. Uh, they abandoned and, and simply just went to the gods of the people among whom they lived, the idols of the people, um, and were worse than those who, among whom they lived, right? They provoked the Lord to anger, and he turned them over uh, in that. Um, and, and that nation then, for centuries, uh, was, was living in the days of the judges then. For, for a longer period than our entire country has had in its entire history, right, uh, the people of Israel were, were in this plight uh, of, of being disobedient and crying out and the Lord would send a judge and they would be rescued and then they would have a little reprieve and then they would go and sin again, right? This cycle, all these E4M dudes would, would know the five S's. I don't remember them right now, but, but uh, yeah, this, these, the cycles that these, they just went through for, for hundreds of years because no one told them. No one told them. Okay. So quick question for, for us as we, as we finish up. What about you? Um, are you? Are you telling? Are you showing? Uh, have, have you set your heart like Ezra upon these things to study the word of the Lord? Um, how intentional uh, are you? I don't, I don't expect answers out loud, but I do want you to be thinking about this. Um, think about where you're spending your time. What are your first thoughts in the morning when you arise? What are your last thoughts at night as you're closing your eyes, as you're getting ready to rest? Okay? Um, turn those to the Lord. Um, make Him your all in all. Um, yeah. This, this is, the, like I said earlier, it's the drumbeat of the scriptures um, over and over again to be teaching and telling true things uh, one to another. Take opportunities in just a few minutes to minister to one another. And then after worship today, take opportunity to minister God's word uh, one to another.